In a previous episode of Gap Chats, I sat down with Chris to provide listeners with an overview of non-GAAP financial measures. That episode ended with us listing the top five non-GAAP issues noted by the SEC in their comment letters to registrants. In this episode, we pick up where we left off, providing listeners with a deeper dive into these five issues. Welcome to Gap Chats, the podcast dedicated to all things accounting, brought to you by Gap Dynamics. I'm your host, Mike Walworth, and with me as always is my faithful partner, Chris Brundrett. We hope you'll join us on our journey today as we share our passion for accounting and help change the way you train. Chris, I wanted to pick up where we left off on our last episode and get into the weeds a bit on those top five issues associated with non-GAAP measures that you so eloquently, you know, came up with off the top of your head. All right. Sounds good. And to recap, these issues in no particular order related to the following. Number one, the prominence with which the non-GAAP measure is being disclosed. Number two, the reconciliation between the GAAP measure and the non-GAAP measure. Number three, the appropriateness of the adjustments within that reconciliation. Number four, individually tailored accounting principles. And finally, number five, management's explanation of why they're using such measures. There are lots of other issues, but if we're going to stick with five, I think that's a pretty good list. All right. So let's let's start with number one, prominence. Uh, What are we talking about here, Chris? Well, the SEC rules require that if a registrant is presenting a non-GAAP financial measure, the most directly comparable GAAP measure must also be disclosed, and the non-GAAP measure must be reconciled to it. Furthermore, the comparable GAAP measure must be presented in the filing with equal or greater prominence, those are words right out of the regulations, as compared to the non-GAAP measure. So what exactly is the issue? Well, at a high level, the SEC has seen filings where the GAAP measure was not given as much prominence as compared to the non-GAAP measure. Can you give us some examples of disclosures that would cause, perhaps cause a non-GAAP measure to be more prominent than the GAAP measure and thus be in violation of the rules? I can, and some of these come courtesy of the SEC. What do you mean? Well, as we said last in our last podcast, the SEC has published a Compliance and Disclosure Interpretation, or CNDI, as we nerdy accountants call them, on the use of non-GAAP financial measures. These CNDIs were most recently updated on December 13th, 2022, so not very long ago. That's a great resource, and just like we did in the, in the previous podcast, let's go ahead and provide a link to the CNDIs in the podcast notes. So, Chris... What do the CNDIs say about prominence? Well, my question 102.10 within that CNDI is where we find the SEC's views on prominence. And they gave some examples of non-GAAP measures that were more prominent than the comparable GAAP measure. Remember, this is bad. The GAAP measure needs to be equal or greater prominent. So these are issue areas that they found. So starting off, presenting a non-GAAP income statement. Presenting a non-GAAP measure before the most directly comparable GAAP measure. We already said, can't do that. Or omitting the comparable GAAP measure altogether, including in an earnings release headline or a caption that includes a non-GAAP measure. Presenting a ratio where a non-GAAP financial measure is the numerator and or the denominator without also presenting the ratio calculated 
using the most directly comparable gap measures with equal or greater prominence. Presenting a non-gap measure using a style of presentation, like maybe bold type, larger font, things like that, that emphasizes the non-gap measure over the comparable gap measure. Describing a non-gap measure as, for example, record performance or exceptional without at least an equally prominent descriptive characterization of the comparable gap measure. Presenting charts, tables, or graphs of a non-gap financial measure without presenting charts, tables, or graphs of the comparable gap measure with equal or greater prominence, or omitting the comparable gap measure altogether. And finally, providing discussion and analysis of a non-gap measure without similar discussion and analysis of the comparable gap measure in a location with equal or greater prominence. So basically, I guess if I were to summarize all those bullets that the C and DIs listed out, basically the non-gap measure cannot get sort of special treatment as compared to the comparable gap measure. You got it. And and so one of the things, the first thing you mentioned actually was a non-gap income statement. What the heck is that? Well, this is an income statement that's comprised of non-GAAP measures and includes all or most of the line items and subtotals found within a typical GAAP income statement. So basically, it's like a fake income statement. And I remember in our previous podcast, you're not allowed to use a description that would sort of confuse you from a GAAP measure. So this is kind of the same thing. So it's basically a fake income statement. Yeah, that's one way to put it. Okay. Okay. So, so let's move on to the issues associated with the reconciliation now. Uh, item 10E, one little i, B of Regulation SK requires that registrants that disclose a non-GAAP measure reconcile it to the comparable GAAP measure. What are some of the issues noted by the SEC related to this reconciliation? Well, for starters, some registrants don't include a reconciliation at all. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, obviously, that's a big omission, but but assume they do include a, re- a reconciliation. What else is the, is the SEC noting? This has been a big one for a number of years, starting the reconciliation with a non-GAAP measure. It is clear. The SEC has made it very, very clear that you must start the reconciliation with the comparable GAAP measure. Got start it. with GAAP, end with non-GAAP. So you start with the GAAP measure earnings reconcile down to EBITDA or whatever. Great example. Uh, Okay. Anything else? Well, a couple of things. Registrants should ensure that both the non-GAAP measures and the related adjustments are clearly and transparently labeled as such, right? So uh, appropriate conventional accounting terminology should be used. The context of the presentation of such measures should be clear. For example, when labeling a non-GAAP financial measure, a registrant must not use titles or descriptions that are used for GAAP financial measures or amounts presented under SEC Regulation SX. This would be misleading. So what about in a reconciliation? And I forget non-GAAP for a moment. Anytime I see a reconciliation, and I'm hearkening back to my auditor days 20 plus years ago, but there's that infamous other line item. And it (laughs) usually included the biggest reconciling (laughs) amounts, right? Yeah, The the infamous other line item, yes. Uh, Registrants should not use a reconciling item labeled other uh, that includes numerous significant items without clearly disclosing the nature of the items within that line item, uh, along with the related amounts. So, you know, 
don't use other unless it's clearly, you know, insignificant uh, to, you know, that's not a gap term. But um, what we see a lot of times is the other number is small. But if you really peer it inside, you would see offsetting larger Uh, items. And that's bad news, right? You've got to pull those out and label them properly. So, you know, this whole idea of a reconciliation, now we'll move into these adjustments. And really what we're talking about when we talk about adjustments, we're talking about adjustments to the comparable gap measure to get to the non-gap measure. So can you give us an example of some of the issues noted with these adjustments, this misleading or inappropriate adjustments that the SEC has found? Yeah, sure. And there's there's numerous, but one that we've mentioned a couple of times already is labeling something as non-recurring, infrequent, or unusual. Okay. So you know, that's a problem, uh, particularly if it excludes amounts resulting from an event uh, that has occurred within the last two years or is expected to occur again in the next two years. So now to be clear, you can, and I, and I said this in our last podcast, you can still make the adjustment, just call it what it is, right? Impairment charges or what have you, right? I mean, you label that's fine. Call it what it is, but be very, very careful about using those terms infrequent, non-recurring, right? Because unless they truly are, that, that terminology should not be used. And, and, and does that, is the SEC actually say that two years or did you kind of just make that up? No, that's, that's in, the, uh, in the guidance. It's in the CNDI. So take a look at that for some you know, more detail on this. But I would just caution you at a high level, be very, very careful with using that because it's difficult to say that you don't expect that this is going to happen, you know, that, well, this isn't going to happen in the next two years. Who knows, right? I mean, yeah. happen once, it could happen again. It's sort of like back, and now I'm, I'm dating myself here. It's probably like, like back when we used to have the, the term extraordinary items yep, in an exactly. income statement. And then they took that out because like, you know, who the heck knows? Nothing's necessarily extraordinary, right? I mean, y- we could y- have another pandemic, right? I mean, you don't know. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. There could be another pandemic. There could be another hurricane. There could be another, you know, I mean, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. So so that makes sense. You know, labeling things non-recurring, infrequent or unusual could be misleading. And, you know, as we said in our last podcast, one of the main things with non-GAAP is Regulation G prohibits the presentation of any non-GAAP financial measure if it contains a material misstatement or omits information that makes the measure misleading. So, Question for you, Chris, can a, can a non-GAAP measure be misleading if it or any adjustment made to the GAAP measure is not appropriately labeled or disclosed? Oh, you better believe it. Non-GAAP measures are not always consistent across or comparable with non-GAAP measures disclosed by other companies. And so, you know, and, th- and that's just by their very nature. They're unique to each of the companies. They're they're different. And uh, so without an appropriate label and clear description, clear description of the reconciling items, a non-GAAP measure or any adjustment made to it to arrive at that measure uh, could be misleading to investors. So, you know, here's some examples that would violate Reg G and the rule related to this. Failure to identify and describe a measure as non-GAAP. Well, that's pretty obvious. Um, presenting a non-GAAP measure with a label that does not reflect the nature of the non-GAAP measure. For example, a contribution margin that's calculated as GAAP revenue less certain expenses and has been labeled net revenue. Okay, what is that? Non-GAAP measure labeled the same as a GAAP line item or a subtotal, even though it is calculated differently 
than the similarly labeled gap measure, such as gross profit or sales, right? You can't use a gap description of an, you know, for a non-gap measure. That's really confusing, right, to, to the readers of the financial statements. A non-gap measure uh, that's been labeled pro forma that is not calculated in a manner consistent with the pro forma requirements in Article 11 of Reg SX. Reg SX has specific rules on pro forma financial information. So don't use that term loosely, right? It has a specific definition. And so kind of to try to give an example. So, you know, it was, what was it, a couple months ago, I think we were doing an impairment webinar with Intelligize, I believe. And I had pulled up an example uh, of, a, of a company that was presenting EBITDA, which is a non-GAAP measure. And in the adjustment back to net income, they had a current goodwill impairment charge as an adjustment. I know you, uh, we had some discussions about this, but what do you, what do yeah. you think about that? Well, uh, that's an interesting one. So EBIT, Clearly defined and and taken as right. It's it's you know a, a common uh, measure, right? Uh, one of the very few common measures a- across entities, um, but it is defined clearly as earnings before interest and taxes. EBITDA is defined as earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Right. The I in EBITDA stands for income or interest, excuse me, not impairment. Right. So measures calculated differently than those described should not be classified as EBIT or EBITDA. So question, what what should they have? Yeah. What should they have done? You can have an adjusted EBITDA. Okay. Right. So, you know, I've got my, I've worked down to my, you know, EBITDA calculation, and then I work a few more adjustments to an adjusted EBITDA. But again, you need to disclose what those adjustments are. I'm backing out impairment charges, for example. Okay. So, so they, they could have been all right if they had, like you said, gone down to EBITDA as defined and then Mm -hmm. had another adjusting item for the goodwill impairment charge and labeled it adjusted EBITDA. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the SEC would crack down, even if that impairment was clearly labeled in there, it, it is not EBITDA. That's a pretty common, right? Uh, people commonly understood is, is, is what I'm trying to say, uh, measure. So that was an issue. And, and what other, you know, to kind of round out this this third issue here, what else does the SEC say about like misleading adjustments? Now, they've indicated that non-GAAP measures could mislead investors if they exclude normal recurring cash operating expenses necessary for business operations. That's that's a that's a non-starter when it comes to non-GAAP measures. They're presented inconsistently between periods, uh, such as adjusting an item in the current period, but not a similar item in the prior period without appropriate disclosure and clear disclosure about what's going on and an explanation of the change, the reasons for that change. So you can make a change to how you're calculating a non-GAAP measure, but you you better disclose it and disclose why, how, and be very clear about it. Excluding certain non-recurring charges, um, but not excluding non-recurring gains, right? So leaving the good in and taking out the bad, right? That That can be an issue. So cherry picking your non-gap adjustments, right? You know, the things that are related, right? I'm I'm leaving in the gain, but I'm pulling out the related charges. That's that's not good. Or, you know, uh basing, you know, the measure indivi- on individually tailored accounting principles. We talked about that one in the last podcast, including certain adjusted revenue measures. They've been been talking about that quite a bit. Well, Chris, that's a nice segue into our fourth issue, which is individually tailored accounting principles. Uh, what are we talking about here? 
Well, Mike, probably the best way to answer that question is to give you an example. So say a company was implementing ASC Topic 606, revenue from contracts with customers, and they, under 606, now have to recognize revenue from certain contracts at a point in time, basically waiting until control of the performance obligations has transferred to the customer, instead of overtime, as they had been doing prior to adopting ASC Topic 606. They're going to show less revenue under GAAP because instead of recognizing like over the performance or contract period, they're now having to probably wait until the very end. So, you know, it's a timing issue, uh, but they're going to show less revenue under new GAAP, ASC Topic 606, uh, during the contract period. So they decide to present a non-GAAP measure showing what revenue would have been had they recognized it over time. That is not that is it not sounds allowed. like a that bunch is... of BS right there. <laughs> that, yes, exactly. It is not allowed. Uh, companies are not allowed to make up their own gap. Non-gap adjustments have the effect of changing the recognition and measurement principles required to be a, a, a applied in accordance with gap. Uh, would be considered individually tailored and may cause the presentation of a non-GAAP measure to be misleading. So, you know, the the SEC staff has given some examples of this where they, you know, consider certain things misleading. This is not an all-encompassing list. These are just some examples. One, changing the pattern of recognition, such as including an adjustment in a non-GAAP performance measure to accelerate revenue recognized ratably over time in accordance with GAAP as though the revenue was earned when customers were billed. Presenting a non-GAAP measure of revenue that deducts transaction costs as if the company acted as an agent in the transaction when gross presentation as a principal is required by GAAP, or the reverse, presentation of a measure of revenue on a gross basis when net presentation is required by GAAP, and changing the basis of accounting for revenue or expenses in a non-GAAP performance measure from an accrual basis with GAAP to a cash basis. And all those examples, you know, basically are a company making up their own gap. They don't like the real gap, so they make up their own gap. But it's interesting that all those examples that you that you talked about focused on revenue recognition. I mean, obviously, I guess that makes sense given the importance of that financial statement line item. But is there anything else? I mean, yeah, another example could be presentation of gross or adjusted revenue that adds back sales discounts, return allowances, or other concessions to revenue as an adjusted gross sales measure, because this presentation would substitute for a gap accounting recognition and measurement method. So that's also not good. And I think, you know, we mentioned in the last podcast, if I think back, but a lot of times these individually tailored accounting principles kind of come up when sort of a new or pervasive new standard comes, right? So REVREC, credit losses, ASC 326. I mean, as you mentioned, I think in the last podcast, you know, ASC 326 is going to require companies to have a a much greater allowance than they would have had under the old incurred loss model. And so companies are like, well, this is what it would have been. But the problem is that's the past, baby. You know, that past is gone. We're now under the new Cecil model. And, and and to take it a step further, I think companies may try and argue, well, I mean, it's important to the users of the financial statements to understand the change. Well, remember, there's disclosure requirements leading up to the adoption of a new standard where you are disclosing the anticipated effect of that standard. So that's a bad argument because readers of the financials should already be aware of this. They're going to know the impact. So as you said, it's time to move forward. You can't look back. Okay. 
And last but not least is that fifth issue that we talked about, which is surrounding management's disclosures of the why. In other words, why are they using this non-GAAP financial measure in the first place? Chris, perhaps you could take us through you know, the rules there. So registrants should provide transparent disclosure that clearly demonstrates the usefulness of the non-GAAP measure to investors and the additional purposes, if any, for which management uses these measures. And let me guess, management's explanation was like, dare I say, lacking? Or non-existent. Okay. (laughs) Furthermore, such disclosures should be specific to the measure used, to the registrant and to the nature of its business and industry, and to the manner in which management assesses the non-GAAP measure. In other words, the disclosures shouldn't be boilerplate. They should be specifically tailored, not individually tailored, right? But specifically tailored to the company. You got it. This is one place where the word tailored is actually a good thing. So this disclosure, again, shouldn't be generic like, oh, well, it's important. Oh, management uses, I mean, why? The why, right? Uh, Of why it's important to management, why they use it, why it's important to the investors. Okay. So, um, well, I think that about does it uh, for our five top issues. I think the discussion was very helpful and hopefully our listeners uh, thought so as well. Why don't you go ahead and take us out? All right. Well, that's all for this episode of Gap Chats, your source for all things accounting. Notes and resources from today's episode are linked in the description. And as always, you can find us online at gapdynamics.com and at GapDynamics across social media. It's never too late to become a Gapologist. Head over to our website and subscribe to our blog so that you are the first to know what's new with Gap Dynamics.